Welcome to Sermons from Bailey Road. You are about to hear a sermon given at Bailey Road Baptist Church. Bailey Road is a small Bible-believing church located in North Jackson, Ohio, and is pastored by Pastor Aaron Smith. We are dedicated to serving the Lord through our people and through our teaching. We hope you are enlightened by today's message, and again, welcome to Bailey Road Baptist Church. Chapter 3, we discovered that in order uh, for our lives to display these evidences, there are a few things that must be done. Uh, We've got to put off the old man. We have to put on uh, the new man. Uh, We have to trust the Lord. We've got to speak to Him. Uh, We've got to want uh, and have a desire to grow uh, in Christ. And uh, we've learned also uh, that God gives us instructions in His Word. And I will tell you, some of those instructions uh, are they're difficult to follow, aren't they? Especially if we're living in the old man versus the new man. Uh, the old man, hey, it's going to be hard to follow those instructions. Uh, it's going to be hard to get in on that. But as we do and we learn to follow those instructions, I will tell you, the Christian life uh, gets easier. Uh, the Christian life becomes a, a joy uh, in our lives when we decide to make Christ our life. When we decide to make Christ our life, it becomes a joy to us. And this week, as we come into chapter number 4, we're going to look at how we can keep Christ at the center of our life. And there are three ways uh, that we do this that are all internal. And, And I want to remind you that the internal things of the Christian life always affect the external. Uh, they always affect our actions within the Christian life. And, and so we're going to talk a little bit about that this morning and, and how they will be uh, on display in our lives when we make Christ our life. Now, in chapter 4, in verse number 1, if you'll give your attention to that, I'll read as you follow along, and we're going to read just the first uh, six verses this morning. The Scripture says, Masters... Give unto your servants that which is just and equal, knowing that ye also have a master in heaven. He says, Continue in prayer and watch in the same with thanksgiving, with all praying also for us, that God would open unto us a door of utterance to speak the mystery of Christ for which I am also in bonds, that I may make it manifest as I ought to speak, walk in wisdom toward them that are without, redeeming the time. Let your your speech be always with grace, seasoned with salt, that ye may know how ye ought to answer every man. So this morning we're going to talk about four ways that we can make Christ the center of our life. The center of our life. How do we do that? Well, the Scripture tells us, and we're going to examine these things this morning, but before we do, let's go to the Lord in prayer, shall we? Our Heavenly Father, I thank Thee. God, You've given us so much. And in this Scripture, Father, we see these instructions here that You have given for our benefit. You've given for us to learn and to apply to our lives. Father, 
if our desire this morning would be to have Christ as our life, I pray that you would help us be able to put Him at the center. That our lives would go and revolve and be, be surrounded in and around Your Son, Jesus Christ. God, that we might have these internal evidences present that it would affect not just uh, our internal motivation, but Father, that it would affect the external as well in how we respond uh, to one another and how we deal with each other within our relationships. And God, I pray that You would help us to become effective believers. God, that our life would be centered in Your Son, Jesus Christ. We pray these things in His name, in the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. All right, so when we look at Colossians chapter 4, of course, uh, it, it's really, of course, as with any chapter most of the time, it, it's really a continuation of chapter 3. As we take note, we looked at last week as uh, we looked at putting off the old man and putting on the new man affects our relationships with others. And as we went over that, we noticed that in verse number 18, Paul begins to address individuals. And he talks to the wives and tells them to submit themselves unto their own husbands. He tells husbands to love the wife. He tells children to obey, the, uh, obey their parents. In verse 21, he says, Fathers, provoke not your children to anger. In 22, he says, Servants, obey in all things. And, and to do it according, not according to the flesh, with eye service as men pleasers, but he says, in singleness of heart, fearing God. And he talks about in verse number 23, he says, Whatsoever ye do, do it heartily as to the Lord and not to men, knowing, in verse 24, that of the Lord ye shall receive the reward of the inheritance, for ye serve the Lord Christ. Be, or but he, that doeth wrong shall receive for the wrong which he doeth hath done, or which he hath done. And there is no respect of persons. So God goes through, through the Apostle Paul here, and he gives this list, but he finishes the list as they broke it down here in chapter number four as he says, Masters, give unto your, uh, to your servants that which is just and equal, knowing that ye have a master in heaven. And so he goes through and he gives this list of relationships and he leaves no one out. We've been talking on Wednesday nights uh, about how we can bring balance uh, to the Christian life and balance within our lives. And this is one of those portions of scriptures that, that we will deal with and how uh, each relationship is affected within uh, this. But it all points back to our relationship with Christ. It all points back to our relationship with God because we have a master in heaven. But as we see this, if we're going to keep Christ at the center of our life, what is it that we have to do? What is it that we have to consider this morning? And in verse number 2 through 6, Paul gives some instructions here as to how we can keep Christ at the center of our life. The first area, he says, is very simple. It's just three words. Continue in prayer. 
Continue in prayer. That's the first point, straight from the Scripture. Continue in or with prayer. Continue with prayer. You see, prayer is how we communicate with the Lord. That is how we communicate with Him. If you look back at verse number 16 of chapter 3, the Bible says, Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly in all wisdom. I'm convinced this morning that in the Christian life, if we are going to grow within the Christian life, it's going to be necessary that we spend time in God's Word. God's Word is our food source. God's Word is how we grow. God's Word is what gives us the health. God's Word is how God communicates with us. God communicates with us through His Word. And he covers that here in chapter 3. But by the time we get to chapter 4, he says, not only do I want to communicate with you through my word, but I want to hear from you. I want to hear from you. So he says, continue in prayer. Now, how often we pray is a sign of our closeness to the Lord. Did you know that? How often we pray is a sign of our closeness to the Lord. Abby and Chloe are both in college, and they, uh, they, they leave us for a little bit of time. And uh, You know, we don't typically, while they're gone, talk or communicate every day. Now, don't be sad. That's partly on their choice. They have phones. They could call me. I would answer. But there's a distance there, right? And usually when there is a distance between communication changes. Now we still talk often. And we would say, hey, we're still close. But it's not like being at home. It's not like they're at, when they're at home, we speak every day. We see each other every day, most days. Some days I leave early in the morning, or they'll leave early in the morning, or come home late, or I'll come home late, and, and we kind of pass occasionally. But I will tell you, when they leave and they go off, and it's going to happen here in a couple of weeks, uh, they're going to leave again, and, and the communication is going to change because our distance has changed. I, I, I will tell you, uh, having, having adult children is different. Those of you that have children, you know this, especially if you have adult children. It's just different. If your children aren't full adults yet, you will soon find it's just different. It's taken a little bit to get used to. I, I, I honestly thought when Rachel and I became parents that uh, parenting, it was obviously going to change our lives, and it did change our lives. And I remember uh, when they were going through the toddler years and going through uh, the, their, their you know, early school years, I, I remember thinking, man, this is not easy. This is kind of hard. I can't wait until they grow up. <laughs> Boy, was I wrong and naive. Oh, yeah, because now they're grown, and they make their own decisions. Yeah, and it's like, oh, this is impossible. I want them to grow backwards. That would be nice, but I want them to grow backwards, but still, you know, like pay for their own stuff. You know what I mean? That would be nice. But sometimes it's just not like that. 
but the communication with God and how often we pray is a sign as to closeness. Closeness. How close are you to the Lord? Well, here's a good question. How often do you pray? How often do you sincerely pray in your Christian life? You see, is there evidence in your life of continued prayer? Because that's what he says to do here. Continue in prayer. And if we're talking about Christ being our life, I mean, Christ being our life, you're going to have to speak. You're going to have to talk. You're going to have to communicate. Now, how many of you would agree that if, if, if we're talking about closeness here, I think you'll agree with this, it would just be awkward if Abby and I are uh, driving down the road and we're taking a trip together. And let's just say it's an eight-hour trip. And she's awake, and we're sitting right next to each other. But for eight hours, we never speak. How many would say, something's wrong with that? Either I'm mad at her, or she's mad at me. I mean, that's what it would appear like. Now, there may be times, I mean, she's she's a heavy sleeper. I mean, you get in the car, you give her a pillow and a blanket, and she's... She can go out. She can sleep for hours. And if she's asleep, I can, I can get that. Now, sometimes she'll be asleep. I don't even know, and I'm still talking to her. Hey, hold on a second. I think there are times in our life when the Father's talking to us, and we're asleep because we don't have a clue. I and mean, I remember one time we went on a trip together. We'd taken several trips by ourselves. And, uh, and I'll, I'll say something, and she doesn't respond. And then I look over, and I'm like, she's asleep. And so I'll wake her up and give her that nudge. She says, what? What? But we would agree that if we're sitting right next to each other and not communicating, that's just, at the best, it's weird. At worst, there's something wrong. Now look, let's, let's be real here for a moment. Can we be real? Let's just be real. I'll, I'll, I'm the one preaching, so we'll just be real. You know there are times in your life where things just aren't right with God? And you're close. And you haven't said a word. And isn't it interesting that God does not force Himself upon us? He will let us create distance from Him. He lets us. And He doesn't force Himself upon us. He said, continue with prayer. And if we want Christ to be at the center of our life, it's going to take something to create that spirit of prayer. There are times when I will wake up in the morning, and I'm using my daughters here as an example, because again, they're leaving uh, here in a few weeks. There's going to be times when I'll wake up in the morning, and and I'll, I'll think about them, and I'll just send them a text. 
Now, Chloe gets a little irritated because I do wake up early, and uh, there's been a couple times I'll wake up at like 6 in the morning, I'm thinking about Chloe, and, and I'll just send her a text message. But the problem is it's, it's 3 o'clock in California. Occasionally, she surprises me and she responds. And she'll say, thanks, Dad. Just a simple communication. Simple communication. Let me ask you, are you continuing with prayer? There is an evidence that it is, again, an internal thing, not an external thing. But notice what the next phrase is as he says, continue in prayer and watch in the same with thanksgiving. Did you see that? The second uh, evidence or the second way that we can keep Christ at the center of our life is to watch with thankfulness. With thankfulness. Now notice this. The word watch, we use it a little bit differently in in our day and time today. Uh, As a matter of fact, we don't even use it really the same way too often. Uh, You know, we may say, somebody may call you and say, hey, what are you doing? You say, I'm watching television. I'm watching television. What are you watching? I'm watching a ball game or whatever the program may be. And, and you're watching something. Well, here it's a little bit different. This is talking about keeping watch. Now, keeping watch is something that means to, to guard or to keep in order to protect something or to protect from danger or against danger. Now, it's interesting within this watching part of our life. You would think that watching something is to, again, to guard against or to keep in order to protect against danger, that because you're on watch, that danger won't come. But the interesting part in this is the reason we watch is because danger is going to come. There is going to come times in our life when we are distracted. There's going to be times in our life when we are uh, being attacked from the enemy. And we've got to stand guard on that. Because when you are ready for an attack, the attack is usually less devastating. And he says here to watch, but not just to watch, but to watch with thankfulness. Thankfulness. Now, I want you to think for a moment. If we're watching to stand guard of danger, of being attacked, how often in our lives are we thankful that we got attacked? Not too often. Again, we're being real this morning. But we're usually not thankful in the attack. But here's what he's saying. Continue in prayer. He's saying stay close and watch in the same. With thanksgiving. With thanksgiving. Now here's an interesting conversation. I'm going to continue to use my daughters as an example. Do you know... How many times in our communication that they have communicated with me in a time of need? 
Dad, I need $10. What do you need $10 for? Well, I'm hungry. They're not really that hungry, Miss Alice, I promise. None of my children starve, but they want something particular. Abby will text and she'll say, Dad, buy me Moe's. Moe's is a burrito place that we like to go to. And I say, no. She says, why not? And we'll go back and forth. Now, you know as well as I do that those types of things are not necessarily needs, but it's open communication. But you know, there have been other times, there have been other times where we're not together, or we're apart, and they'll communicate and they'll say, Dad, I need you to do this. And it's an instant. You know this, if you're a parent, you know when there is a need in your child's life, that's a true, legitimate need, there's nothing that you won't do to meet that need, is there? Even if you can't, you'll try to figure out a way how you can. And with this, as, as the Bible says, continue in prayer. One of the reasons we want to continue in prayer and to keep that closeness to God is so that we can watch with a thankfulness to say, man, I'm glad my dad was near. I'm glad he was near. I've never had to experience this before. I hope I never do. But, you know, there is... Uh, there's a time in life that sometimes children stray. There's a distance between a child and a parent and communication ceases for a while. And usually it is more on the child's end when, again, we grow up and there's a, there's a natural distance there. And because there's a natural distance there, and there may have been some event that took place to create this, but, but there may come a time where, as a child, they have a need, but because they didn't continue within the contact, they could contact mom and dad. But they don't. Because there's been a distance created. Distance created. You know, we don't have to in the Christian life. One of the greatest things and the greatest aspects about our relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ and with God the Father is that at any moment in time, we can be right with Him. At any moment in time, we can become right with God. Whether the distance is far and great, there is nothing that God doesn't forgive. Within our relationship, He is our Father, we as His children. There's nothing that God doesn't forgive and cleanse us from. But here He says, continue in prayer, watch in the same with thanksgiving. Let me ask you something. Are you thankful when that attack comes? One of the things we can be thankful in is the fact that God is near that He is near and help is available. And again, the key to our watching is in the thankfulness. We ought to be thankful that God allows us to see the danger, that it's coming, and ask for His help. But we must be watchful. 
We've got to stand on guard. We've got to be watching and waiting and looking for the attack. That's the whole idea of watching is sounding the alarm. God, they're coming. The attack's coming. It's right here. They're almost here. Send reinforcements. Send help. Continue in prayer, he says. And watch in the same with thanksgiving. I tell you, this is more for you. This is more for you than it is for Him. So the first thing we must do to keep Christ at the center is continue with prayer and watch with thankfulness. Then look what He says in verse 3. He says, with all, praying also for us, that God would open unto us a door of utterance. Within this idea of praying, we continue with prayer. We continue in our closeness. Closeness. We continue watching with thankfulness. But there's a third aspect of our prayer, and that is that we pray for each other and for the souls of men. Let me ask you something this morning. As you consider your own prayer life, you consider your own prayer life this morning is is prayer more for yourself or is it also about others do you pray more for your needs or do you also pray for the needs of others the book of job is a wonderful book Job was attacked by Satan. Satan wreaked havoc in Job's life. And it caused Job to have many, many questions. We've been told, I've been told at least, never question God as to ask why things happen. Just accept. Well, you know, I, I don't find that in Scripture personally. Matter of fact, I, I feel like God welcomes questions. Matter of fact, when I see people questioning in Scripture, I see God giving answers. Job questioned why. Job had lots of questions, as a matter of fact. If you read the book of Job, you'll see those questions and you'll see uh, as Job, even at one time, he stopped and, and he said, uh, he said, God, he said, I don't understand this. He said, I look in front of me and you're not there. He said, I look on my right hand and you're not there. I look on my left hand and you're not there. I look behind me and you're not there. Why? When you get to the end of the book of Job, you find God confronting Job with His answer. And in His answer, He tells Job, Job, I want you to gird up your loins like a man. Thou wilt answer me. Wait a second. Job has been asking all of the questions. 
And yet God says, Job, I want an answer from you. God begins in the last three or four chapters of the book of Job. He begins to describe himself in all that he does, in all that who God is. I mean, it's wonderful. It's, it's honestly amazing. Job was attacked. Job sought. But then the very last chapter, when Job finally figures it all out, he stops and he gives his answer and he says, I understand, God, you can do whatever you want because you're God. And I'm paraphrasing, by the way. Just read the chapter, you'll find it. I understand. God tells him, well, this is what you do, this is how you do it. But then there's one verse that the first time I read it, it honestly blew me away. Job, the Bible says that within Job's captivity, Job was being held captive by the attack of Satan. And it said, God turned the captivity of Job when Job did something. And it was something that was honestly simple. And Job's not a short book, by the way. But here's when God turned the captivity of Job away. And here's what it says. When Job prayed. When Job prayed. We're talking about prayer this morning. But it wasn't just when Job prayed. Because Job had been praying for 39 chapters before this. He had been praying for a long time. But there was a specific prayer that Job prayed. And it was when Job, here's what the entire phrase says, when Job prayed for his friends. When Job finally said, you know what? I'm not going to focus on me any longer. When Job said, I'm not going to look at my problems any longer because my friends have some new problems. My friends have problems too. My friends have been attacked. My friends don't get it. My friends are about to face judgment of God, as a matter of fact. But when Job stopped simply praying for himself only and began to pray for his friends, the Bible says that is when God turned the captivity of Job. Paul said, continue with prayer. He said, watch in thankfulness, but pray for us. Let me ask you something. Do you pray more for you and your problems and your issues and what you want more than you pray for others? We do it sometimes, especially, especially when we're under attack. You see, as we are self-preserving creatures, we, we, again, we hurt. We want to take care of ourselves. When we're attacked, we want to protect ourselves. But Paul said, would you pray for us also? 
If we want to keep Christ at the center of our life this morning, if we want to do this, we must pray for each other and for souls. I will tell you, I think it's a sign of maturity in our prayer life when we spend more time praying for others than we do ourselves. He says, would you pray for us with all, with everything going on in your life, would you pray for us that God would open unto us a door of utterance to speak the mystery of Christ for which I also am in bonds, that I may make it manifest as I ought to speak. I tell you, when we think about maturity and we think about thinking of others and we think about all that God does in our lives, I, I will tell you, I can't think of more uh, selfish creatures than children. You think about it. You've ever gone to a preschool or teach a preschool class? You should. It's a lot of fun. It's a lot of fun, but you know, you'll find something out about children. I learned more, I tell you, I learned more about my own depravity by having my own children. When you start seeing yourself and their flaws, it's a humbling thing, isn't it? Oh yeah, it's a humbling thing. But one thing I found about children is, again, in their nature, they're selfish. They say, that's mine. They say that's mine about things that aren't even theirs. And they say, I want it. And if you don't give it to them, if you will allow them, they will just take it. They will take it from each other, won't they? If you've had multiple children, you know you've experienced this. I want it. Give it to me. I wonder this morning, is that how you pray? Or do you also pray for others? Do you also pray for others? Do you pray for wisdom in dealing with others? Do you pray that God would not just uh, help them or help you, but to help them, to help those who do not know the Lord? Because notice, this is what Paul is asking them to pray for. He says to, to watch in the same with thanksgiving, but with all praying for us also that God would open unto us a door of utterance to speak the mystery of Christ. Let me ask you something. Are you praying for people to be saved? Do you know people that don't know the Lord? Are you praying for their salvation? Are you praying that God would, uh, if not use you, to use someone to give them the gospel? It's a sign of maturity. I wonder how much time I've wasted in my life as a Christian by not praying this way. Is this our approach within this? You see, these are the internal evidences of how we pray. He says, continue in prayer. Watching the same. You're going to get attacked. You've got to watch. You've got to know God is near. Be watchful. And pray for each other. 
and pray for souls. Those are the internal evidences of how we keep Christ at the center of our life. But then let's talk lastly about the external. How do we see the evidence of our prayer life? How do we see the evidence of keeping Christ at the center of our life? How do we see the evidence and have the evidence that Christ is at the center of our life? That Christ is our life? Well, he says in verse number 5, Walk in wisdom. Walk in wisdom. Are you walking in wisdom? James told us and reminds us that if any lack wisdom, that we can ask of God that giveth to all men liberally. God has a lot of wisdom to share with us, to give to us. And He says, all you got to do is ask, I'll give it to you. Again, these first three are internal evidences. This one last external evidence is how we walk. And he says, walk in wisdom. But more importantly, he says, walk in wisdom toward them that are without, redeeming the time. Now, to walk simply means what our lives display to those who we come into contact with. Hey, may I just remind you very quickly, if our prayer life is the internal evidence, what I'm getting at here is that our prayer life affects our daily walk. In how we walk. In where we walk. In why we walk. And it affects that. It affects that. And so when he says to walk, he's saying it's going to have a display. But then he says to walk in wisdom. This is the right use of knowledge. It also is the knowledge and the use of what is best within this. Years ago, we always think about what is the definition of wisdom? What is wisdom? If we're asking for wisdom, what is it? I heard years ago, I was in high school, and I've not forgotten it since then. It's been a few years ago, but I was listening to Jerry Falwell preach. Jerry Falwell Sr., and he was preaching through the book of Proverbs, and he gave this definition of wisdom. And I said, man, that's, that's really good. I've not heard that before. But he said this. He said, wisdom is seeing things from God's perspective. You ever try to see something from a different perspective? It changes things, doesn't it? I, I will tell you, the, uh, the, the first time I was proud, I think I was 12 years old, uh, the first time I went to Chicago. And, I, and my parents weren't with me, and I had actually won the trip. And, uh, and I, I remember going, and, and man, a big city like that can be intimidating to a 12-year-old. When you're down on the ground, and you're, you're looking around, and all you do is look up, everywhere you look is a building. And the buildings are tall, and it's just, I mean, it's, it's breathtaking. Sometimes it's intimidating. And, and one of the parts of the trip that I had won was to go up in uh, the Sears Tower. At that time, the tallest building in the world. And I remember taking that elevator ride up, and it was fast, and I was amazed by that. And man, it, I mean, it was, it was just different. When you get up on the observation deck of the Sears Tower, it's now the, the Willis Tower. They changed the name. Somebody bought the rights to it and uh, changed the name. It's now the Willis Tower. And you go and you get up there. 
it changes your perspective. Matter of fact, the, the cars are no longer big. They're small. The people, whew, you can barely see them. The other buildings, oh man, it's just, they're there and you can see every one of them. You can see Lake Michigan. If you go to the right side or the left side or whichever side you see it from, you can see all kinds of things when you change the perspective. Oh, it's breathtaking. I've never forgotten it. I've had the opportunity to go back a few different times and uh, same thing, you go to New York City, you go on top of, top of the rock or you go up top of uh, the uh, Empire State Building and you know what? You get a different perspective. When we obtain and get God's wisdom from, from Him, it changes our perspective. And that's what uh, Jerry Falwell said. He said it's seeing things from God's perspective. But then he said this. He goes on and he says, and then choose to do what God wants you to do. So it's not just seeing it from God's perspective. It's then choosing what God wants us to do in that situation. Let me ask you something. Are you praying for God's wisdom? Are you asking God to give you this wisdom so that you can walk in wisdom towards them or that are without? Jerry Falwell went on to give the remainder of the definition. He said, wisdom is first finding the will of God. You've got to find God's will first. But then secondly, within that, you've got to follow God's will. But a true wise man will not just find God's will and follow God's will, but also, thirdly, will finish God's will. And that is what God is giving us the wisdom to do. And He says, walk in wisdom toward them that are without. You know, there's a lot of people without wisdom. You've probably met a few. And He says, walk in wisdom toward them that are without. And He says, redeeming the time. Again, walking in wisdom towards them that are without goes back to the relationships that we have in life and how we interact with those relationships. Them that are without wisdom. They don't have it. So we have to react differently. We have to react and ask God to change our perspective in how we deal with them. The idea of redeeming the time simply means to save the time. To get it back, to have more time. Man, we waste a lot of time, don't we? We waste a lot of time in our lives. But as he says here, toward them that are without redeeming the time, and this is how we do that in verse number 5, he says, let your speech be always with grace. Let me ask you something. Do you always speak with grace? Do you always speak with grace this morning? Always with grace means to be kind and always oblige another with humility and patience. With humility and patience. And he gives us a, a really a good illustration here. Let your speech be always with grace. And he gives this illustration in verse number 6, seasoned with salt. We all eat. Amen? We do. We love to eat. And I will tell you, there are times when we come in and 
We take a bite, and we say, oh, that needs something. Now, you, you, most people fit in one of two categories when it comes to salt. You either salt before you taste or after you taste. Any pre-salters in the room? Raise them high. Let's see who you are. I mean, you haven't even tasted it yet, and you're like, oh, i got to put some salt on it. How many of you wait till you taste it, and then you're like, oh, this needs some salt? Yeah. Now, he says seasoned with salt. How we speak. Now, we taste it, and we say, oh, that needs some more salt. So we put some more salt on it. But you know, there are times when we taste it, and we say, oh, 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 that's too salty. Anybody ever had some too salty food? Yeah, it's be, that's, most of you pre-salters, that's what happens. <laughs> I'm a post-salter myself. I want to taste it first, then I'll put some salt on it. Now, I'm a pre-pepperer. I put pepper on it before I taste it. But salt, it, it, salt can really, it can, it can get you. Not enough salt can get you, and too much salt can get you. And it's interesting, within that salt, it, the, the, the term for salt really means something that is pungent. Ooh, that's a good word. Something that's piercing, sharp, and biting. That is why we have to let our speech be always with grace, seasoned with salt. Now, now, most of us, I, I would think, I've done it before, but it's really not that great, but sometimes we eat salt by itself. You ever tried it? I don't recommend a whole lot. It doesn't really take a whole lot. I mean, you can, you can take a, 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 a teaspoon of sugar, and it's sweet. But it doesn't have the same effect as a teaspoon of salt, does it? I, I challenge some of you. I'm going to challenge you right here this morning. Go home, get a teaspoon of salt, and try it. I mean, your game. No one. <laughs> You've had salt before. I'm not doing it either, I'm telling you. I've tried it. It's, I took that dare one time. Not a smart thing to do. Because it bites. That much salt, oh, oh, it's a lot of salt. But you know, a sprinkle, it's enough. That's why he says seasoned with. Too much salt, oh, that's it's pungent and piercing. Got to have the right amount. Got to have the right amount. That notice what he says, that ye may know how ye ought to answer every man. You've got to know how much salt to put in. You've got to know how, how to season what you're going to say to change the taste of it. Sometimes we don't put enough. Sometimes we put too much on it. That's why we need God's wisdom. That's why we need God's wisdom. You see, our lives, the Bible says, are hid with Christ. 
We know that the book of Colossians is directed to Christians, to those that believe. For over one chapter in this book, the Bible has spent much time instructing us on how to to behave, on how we're to respond to others. We have to be taught these things. So that we can, not, not that we can remain to be saved, for there's nothing that we can do in and of ourselves to save ourselves. Thankfully, our salvation is not based upon how you and I uh, behave or how you and I uh, do what is right or not do what is wrong. No, salvation comes only by trusting Jesus Christ. Because He died for us. He gave His life to pay the penalty for our sin. And so it's not about how we just, or in all of this, how we can stay saved or keep saved or anything like that. I'm grateful for that this morning. But sometimes, we put back on our dirty clothes. As the Bible describes, the old man. We walk in those ways. We need to put ourselves back into the habit of making Christ our life. Putting on the new man. Continuing with prayer. Secondly, watching in the same. Thirdly, praying for others, not just ourselves. So that we might walk and wisdom to be able to show and give an answer to every man. Are you in this? Is Christ at the center of your life? This is one way to do it. This is the way to put Him at the center, to stay close, be within this. That we might walk with Christ, be in Christ, that He might be our life. If you've never trusted Jesus Christ as your Savior, you can. You can. It's easy. God loved you enough to send His Son to die for you. Maybe you need to do that. Maybe you, it's possible. Look, I I know it's possible. You, You may have been in this church your entire life. You've grown frustrated of trying to put on and trying to uh, put on an act of something that would be uh, just trying to put on these things and do the right things, but you've never trusted Christ as your Savior. You've grown overly just irritated in that. It's possible. It's possible. It's possible you may need to just trust Christ. Have to get past some things. But if you have, he says, continue in prayer. Watch with thanksgiving. Pray for others so that ye may walk in wisdom. That Christ would be our life. Every head bowed, every eye closed this morning.